Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CEDH. I'm one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobzors. And today, we have a very special episode for you. Uh, we are resuming special episodes, uh, and today we're going to be doing a special episode on Godo, Bandit Warlord. Um, so we've taken a brief hiatus from special episodes, partially due to the complexity and difficulty in organizing them and coordinating everyone's schedules, which uh, which we, we were maybe a bit too cavalier with how frequently we thought we'd, we'd get these done, but we're ideally going to be um, get, getting more of these out to you uh, soon. But also, we, we kind of put the special episodes on hold during the um, Thassa's Oracle Flash Hulk, you know, winter, Fish Hulk winter. Um, because, you know, talking about decks like Goto just isn't, uh, doesn't really make sense when, you know, there is really only one deck and, and the fringe had been kind of eliminated. So now that that is gone, um, very excited to get back to it with special episodes. And Goto, Bandit Warlord, uh, CDH is definitely a deck that has a special place in my heart. Well, so that's, that's enough about me. Um, in this episode, I will be acting as host and question master for the most part, but I am joined by a panel of expert guests. Uh, so with us today, we have Nick, aka insert clever phrase here. Hi, good to uh, good to join you. Tony, uh, aka Gtoast99. Hello. And Azrael. Uh huh. So uh, Tony and uh, Nick are both. You know, I guess co-authors on the Goto Primer, and uh, you know have been have been there since the the early days of you know everyone brewing with with Helm the Host on the Mono Red server, uh, and Azrael also there since the beginning, and uh, uh, does he, we we've got some uh, some conflicting opinions on on directions and certain cards, and you know Azrael here is 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 here to voice. Give, give some dissenting opinion so everyone isn't just you know nodding in agreement. Um, Astral's, Astral's I'm the a, devil's uh, advocate here. Got got yeah. a very very nice list, and uh, we'll we'll be linking we'll be linking to the primer and uh, and and a bunch of lists that we referenced throughout the episode in the show notes. So uh, be free to uh, check those out. But yeah, so let's let's just talk about what this episode is going to be about. So yeah, uh, the, this podcast is going to focus more on the nitty gritty stuff of Godot. We're assuming you have a reasonable knowledge of the deck and it's uh, functioning. This isn't like an intro primer um, about the deck. This is, this is for, you know, really getting into, you know, leveling up someone who's probably uh, played the deck a few times or is familiar with the basic concepts and getting, you know, advice from the foremost experts on the deck. Um, yeah. So we're going to be talking about, you know, some what your average game looks like, you know, what turn do you typically try to combo out? How aggressively do you mulligan? Um, yeah, and just th th this kind of advice and you know some single card discussion. It's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. Um, and one thing before we we jump into it, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Ishmokin, um, who is another uh, you know top tier expert on on Goto, but unfortunately we can only have so many people on our panel, so. Um, yeah, I just wanted to just to give that shout out. But yeah, uh, before we get into you know some detailed discussion of the deck as it is now, you know as we did with the Gitrog special episode, uh, I think it would be fun for our listeners um, to just kind of understand a bit of the history of the deck. And you know, contrary to to popular belief, the the deck didn't just 
you know, or, or there there was there was actually interest in Goto before Helm the Host was printed. Um, but that's really when the deck became it, it came into its own and became an actual, you know, tiered quote unquote CDH list. But before before that, um, I'll, I'll give a brief history because not many people may know this, but uh, even though I don't, I guess I do bring up Goto every now and then on on the podcast. But I, I was actually uh, involved in uh, some of the the developments early on in the lists. I, I uh, chat with the with uh, everyone on the Mono Red server and help make discussion on uh, what things go into list, despite not actually piloting Goto in CDH at all. Really, uh, I play a casual Goto list, and uh, as as you'll you'll soon find out when I talk about it. The there that that casual Goto list is actually involved in some of the history of Goto CDH. So I'll I'll just uh, jump into that. So as far as far as we know, there was some interesting um, origins of Goto before right before Helm the Host. There was a combo that people were working on, um, and it wasn't very good. It was a very multi card combo, but it it all started from me making a casual or like mid power goto list involving uh this the idea of going casting goto to find blade of selves and then blade of selves attacking uh, with goto then finding masterwork of ingenuity and hammer of nazan so then the masterwork would copy blade of selves and then on your second attack you could find all of the cauldra pieces and world slayer so that was my like Goto combo initially, so your Goto would be indestructible, all the Calder pieces would be indestructible, and then you'd be left with a you know a world slayer that you can destroy all permanents every every turn with. Um, and you just close out the game that way. So that was my my original idea. And then Hisp, um, an, a member of the Mono Red Discord, took inspiration from that, from the idea of uh, the Blade of Selves, Hammer Work, uh, Hammer of Nazan, and Masterwork. And then he kind of spun that off into a completely different direction. So what he did was he was doing things with, uh, and this is crazy, you know, kudos to him for figuring this out. Uh, Blade of Selves, Masterwork of Ingenuity, Hammer of Nazan, and he'd go find on the second attack, uh, Mortar Pod, uh, Nim Death Mantle, Death Render and Heirloom Blade. And there was this crazy combo involving like goblins and Neheb and 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 all kinds of stuff. So this this idea was eventually, you know, found by uh, Average Dragon, you know, notorious CDH brewer and, and community member, and refined a bit. And there was discussion on the Mono Red Discord about how to how to optimize this combo. There was some meme, you know go to combo decks and then helm the host got spoiled and all of that went out the window <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment uh yeah we we got you know insert tony Azrael, and, and a bunch of members of the mono red community you know brewing around uh yeah. go to helm combo <laughs> there, yeah, I, I actually never played CDH before this. I, I played a, a casual to high power go to list that I enjoyed the shit out of and um uh, when they broke my favorite commander, it it dragged me into CEDH. So I guess I guess that's one one extra way of joining CEDH. <laughs> what about what about you, Tony? Were you were you doing um, other things before before Helm, or was was this your your uh, foray so into CEDH? This was around the time my uh, play group was in the the arms race that you see all too often. 
Um, and so I was piloting some ridiculous uh, Zakama land destruction stacks deck. Uh, and um, Helm of the Host uh, was... when I, As soon as I saw that card spoiled, um, I knew that I wanted to try CEDH this was the card I wanted to do it with. And so a bunch of my, in my play group had um, pr- started proxying up uh, like Tazri and that sort of thing. Uh, and just straight primer lists and said, well, we don't know what we're doing, but let's try it. And I was the one in the group that said, I'm going to try to brew something else and see if it works. Uh, and it was off to the races. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, and interesting too, when Goto was first, uh, brood. There was actually several different directions that it was that it was taken. Um, I remember my first Helm Goto Brew was uh, was a stacks oriented build. Uh, you know, I was running Tabernacle um, and a bunch of stacks pieces. Some people were on you know all in combo, running every single rich red ritual down to uh, a desperate ritual, pyretic ritual. Um, That's where I was yeah, at. And and. I was at pedal to the metal. Let's go fast. Goto has has kind of come a long way since then to be more of a unified list where it's running aspects of stacks um, all in combo, and it, it's really kind of a, a chimera of of all of those original lists, which is uh, pretty interesting. But yeah, uh, let's let's talk about you know goto and the uh, current meta so throughout this episode i'll be mentioning some listener questions that we we've sourced from the mono red discord uh as they if they relate to the topic at hand and and at the very end of the episode we'll be covering some listener questions that we didn't cover so uh sage grouse asks i'd like to hear about the changes in the meta uh, and how that has affected and interacted with goto and are we seeing more or less answers to our win attempts um after Flash Winter. And then Ishmaelkin also asks, how well positioned is Goto in the possible top table matchups versus, you know, Turbo Adnaz Breach decks uh, or highly interactive decks like Thrasios Midrange? Uh, I'll go in regard to the Turbo Adnaz matchup. So I've actually played a decent amount with uh, River May Cry on Blue Farm with Goto. And I've had, so far, I'm positive. I've won at least two games versus him, and they're all both. They're all games uh, where I won between turns two and turn four. So you definitely have the racing aspect down. Uh, it's just the interacting part which is harder. I don't know how others have you fared versus some of these decks. I guess I guess against uh, highly interactive decks, um, I feel like that hasn't really changed that much to before the um, the. Uh, um, uh, flash winter i guess uh, when i sort of stopped playing uh um for a little while at least um i think that uh goto has a lot of stacks that really hits hits those decks hard they tend to play a lot of colors blood moons are really effective um they tend to play a lot of counter spells and stuff for non-creature spells uh they don't really do much against us um or at least they don't stop the main combo um so yeah, some some good advantages there. Uh, Goto generally does well against them, I think. Uh, um, yeah. What do you think, Tony? Tony, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I I think we're in a really good spot now that the incredibly low mana uh, instant speed win con is gone. 
Um, we can still race with some of the the best decks for sure, but if they want to slow the game down and play a mid-range game, we can win that too. We can play the stacks of your hands. So I, I think we're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, well, one thing I'll add is that I think the uh, Blood Moon and Back to Basics decks are very well positioned in the post-Flash meta due to the fact that Oracle is kind of consolidated at the top of the format and everybody's running Tainted Packed mana bases, which get punished pretty freaking hard by uh, Blood Moon and Back to Basics decks. So the the non-basic land hate aspect of Godo's stacks pieces and is just very strong. And honestly, a lot of the, the stacks pieces that, that Godo's running are are just you know powered up a bit uh based on how the meta has shifted um but yeah yeah i think the the other hard harder matchups now would, would actually be decks that are more focused around red multicolor red decks because they run a uh, dock side as well and that's a pretty good out to blood moon and that is, that is one thing that sort of made made mm-hmm. blood moon a little less effective semi-recently was the printing of dock side extortionists so it's it obviously powers our deck up a bit as well but i think it's actually better against us than it is in our deck just because they get to sidestep the blood moon they get to um you know bank off of us having lots of artifacts which we pretty much always will do um so it's also just something that it's, it's also just something that encourages people to play red which obviously depowers blood moon if people are playing red in their deck already and then I do th- I do think one thing that uh, is is also a bit of a detriment for Godo is the fact that Force of Vigor has gone up in popularity um, as people are anticipating things going into more mid range and grindy and rule of laws being present. Uh, people are packing Force of Vigors more often, which is of course uh, a Godo player's uh, worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny because during flat when Flash was legal and Oracle was legal, people were actually cutting Nature's Claim and like Source mm. of Plowshare. And now that it's gone, like people will move back towards those. Oh yeah, especially with uh, as we'll discuss uh, later. Um, and I guess we can bring up now, Draneth being a mm. big part of the meta now is hard for any uh, any expensive commander or, or commander centric deck. Um, so along with people running Draneth, which is obviously uh, a very strong piece against Godo, people are also packing more removal for Draneth. So Swords to Plowshares. Um, as Azrael pointed out, are going back into yeah. lists. Uh, yeah, I mean, we did get some cool. But then, at, by the same token, yeah, you got uh, yeah. deflecting. Yeah, we got we got so. some cool cool <laughs> new tech too. Um, we've also found some new tech in like uh, Conqueror's Flail, which kind of was always around, but you know, we sort of only recently rediscovered, I guess. <laughs> okay, so speaking of uh, you know some of the cards that we can run to answer this uh let's move into some single card discussion regarding the the deck uh so here we're going to be talking about um some more contentious cards not just going over you know every single obvious card in the list we're not going to be spending time talking about dockside extortionist because you know you're red you run dockside extortionist um yeah so a few a few people from the red server say so bear what are more niche cards slash interactions you should be aware of and then Grap, uh, Gappy, sorry, says, "What cards um, do you feel are either overused or underused?" So yeah, let's. Well, th- those answers will be uh, will be will be covered. And in our first category, we're going to be talking about some ramp pieces. Uh, so here we've got Warren Power Stone and Coalition Relic are ones that do not see play in uh, Tony or Nick's uh, primer list. But 
Azrael and and some people might Azrael runs them, and and some people might be wondering, you know, why don't you run um, run these kinds of of uh, ramp pieces? Do you guys want to speak to that? Nice, I'll answer first. Uh, so the reason why I like warm power stone and coalition relic still, uh, coalition relic probably a little more of our warm power stone, is that these are individual cards, so they take up one slot that produce multiple mana. Uh, yes, warm power stone does enter tapped, but Unless it's always on turn three, it usually doesn't matter too much. Uh, Coalition Relic, I think it's a little better because you can hold up some interaction still when, after you play it, and if you don't need to do anything, you just charge it. And I think, like, at least at that use case, it's fine. And sometimes we're, like, a slightly starved for red mana in, the, in case of Coalition Relic. So that's why I still play it. Yeah, I Tony, Nick, why, 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 um, why don't you run them? Because well, <laughs> I'm a ramp snob. Uh, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm snobby about my ramp. I, we have so many options, and I just don't think they quite hit the bar. I'm not going to look down on someone for playing them. I just, I, I look for, I, I don't think, I think they quite for hit me, that level they, for me. They fall short of allowing me to combo off on the turn when I want to be able to be ready to combo off. Now, I want to Ideally, with this deck, I want to be ready to, to combo off on turn three or earlier. Um, mostly, I think it just gives you more options to when you're reading the table and you think, okay, now's my time. You know, the, the earlier you can you can have that available, the better. Um, I feel like one power stone and coalition relic just fall a little short of that. They they sort of enable good good reliable wins. I think on turn four or later, um, but I, I just feel like I want my deck to be a little faster than that. I think. Uh, Azrael has a different opinion on that. I think he's better. He's he's more aiming towards a, a little bit slower, but a little bit more of a resilient and um, uh, stacksy list with a little bit more. Um, you, you're trying to grind out the win a little bit more. So I guess I'll touch on this a little bit, and then we can move on. But one thing I've learned from talking with the Shmokin and the Finns in regards to like ad nauseum decks is like you need a certain amount of mana sources to really be consistent and have explosivity. And while we do still have a lot, regardless if you don't include these two, it helps not just in recovery, but you have like multiple points where you're casting Goto as far as mana amounts. So you have four, six, seven, eight, nine, and eleven are the key points of mana that you usually need. Uh, four being like the ideal one, which is that Trinus Ogre. But after that, you start getting to where you want to just start playing as many mana sources as you can. And that's why I like including these, because all you really need is this deck is mana to win, at least. And I don't think it's a, a big problem for this deck if I include these. Yeah. Um, so and then some other of the ramp pieces we have on this list that I are, are cards that... Uh, you know, that aren't usually run. And that's uh, Scorched Ruin and some of the tapped colored rocks for two CMC. And I wanted to get your your guys' opinion on, on why these cards aren't run. Um, so I think Scorched Ruin is uh, a land that, you know, it, it taps for four generic mana. And when it enters, you need to sacrifice two untapped lands. Um, uh, and otherwise, to keep it in play. So there's, there's some... There's some consideration in in my opinion on why why wouldn't you run something that's like a soul land because you run all the other soul lands and you run uh you know crystal vein and, and a bunch of lands that sack for mana so why not why not this land 
Um, I think the the main problem with this is is sort of what I was talking about with uh, the turn you want to be able to go off. So Scorch Ruins doesn't allow you to to go off on turn three unless you have a rock that taps for red that you have because Scorch Ruins is going to get rid of both of your other lands and then it only taps for colorless mana. And because we're sort of aiming for the most powerful rocks, most of them just produce colorless mana. So um, we're kind of limited on our red mana already. When you're throwing away two of your other lands, probably all of your red mana, uh, you're you're now on turn three. You've just played a land that tapped for four. Um, you can use that to play like a Thran Dynamo or something and, and, and build up, but you're not going to be comboing off on turn three with it, um, which I think a card that only enables turn four uh, combos is just not really what this deck is aiming for. It's just aiming to be a bit faster than that. Okay, and then Tony, as a you know, a self self proclaimed ramp snob, um, you, do you want to talk about the tapped <laughs> colored rocks? So these are like fire diamond, cold steel heart, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, they're just uh, they're third tier rocks, and we and we play some third tier rocks, and that's that's fine. Um, but there's there's enough options, I think, that we really get to we get to be snobby about it. We get to choose what are the best ramp sources that we can have. And there definitely needs to be some trade-off between uh, fast and single use and slower. I think Jeweled Amulet kind of splits the middle of, of, that's a weird rock. A lot of people don't like that one. Um, But things that just plain enter tapped uh, for two mana are too slow. Um, And then the the flip side of that is if you just eschew rocks all together and go, well, let's just play ramp sources that are um, uh, rituals, then once you've burned the ritual, you get no recovery power from it at all. So you really do have to split the middle, but these are just too slow. I think one thing that uh, that people also need to understand, you know, compared to other decks where the color might be important, more important than the fact that it comes in untapped, Goto only really needs one red most of the time when it's trying to combo. Uh, you know, one or two red, one for the actual Goto, um, and then, you know, maybe for some cost reducer, like a magnetic death but a lot of a lot of the the wins can actually be done with only a single red mana so the color is less important than being able to you know chain mana rocks i think or, i think we're aiming uh, just you're aiming when you rocks. combo to have two red mana available though because you want to ha- be able to have mana for like um a red blast or or a pyroblast or something like that so mm-hmm. okay and and speaking of comboing our next category is on the cost reducers so most of the cost reducers um, in in Goto are pretty standard and, and aren't going to change. They're just so high quality. But some of them are on the fringes, and some of the new ones that get printed uh, see a lot of discussion. Uh, so kind of to, to list some of the the main ones from the actual primer, you've got like Brass Squire, which can tap to you know, attach an equipment, and so you can play that before you combo and reduces the combo from eleven mana to six. Same with Panharmonicon when you're doing things with Hammer of Nizan. Heat Shimmer, you know, Final Fortune, these kind of things. So there's there's almost a, a, a bifurcation between the pre-paying cost reducers, so things like the Panharmonicon and Brass Choir, and then the the same turn combo reducer uh, cost reducers like Twin Flame, Heat Shimmer, Magnetic Theft. Um, so a lot of the the discussion right now is along is along the lines of the quote unquote pre-paid um, cost reducers. So how many how many copies of, of Panharmonicon are, are really worth running? So the card Molten Echoes, uh, which was printed in I think that was 
Commander like 2020 that. and uh, Cryptic Trilobite. I think that was also Commander 2020. Are some Akaria was for a Crypto Child Bike. Okay, yeah, and, and so these are some cards that are uh, used to prepay and 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 get the the cost reduction, um, but don't actually make the cut. Do you guys want to speak to why? Yeah, I think that one. There's only so many of these sort of effects that you want because they don't they don't stack right. So once you have Panharmonicon, the others are re- are redundant. Once you have Hammer of Nizan in your opening hand, you draw a Panharmonicon or Molten Echoes. They're not any good. Um, Trilobite's kind of nice in that it allows you to like untap monoliths and stuff. So you can kind of filter mana through it that way if you have one of those. Um, but in general, I think there's just there's only so many of those sort of effects you need. Final Fortune's an interesting one. Uh, because yeah. you, you get to like you take an extra turn and then you, you use your mana that untaps to, to pay for the equip. Um, but it also costs a lot of red. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually three copies of it available, but um, we only run the instant speed one because it gives you the uh, additional utility of being able to just sit there with two red mana open and another line to victory. Like maybe you have a Panharmonicon in play and you have tons of mana, but you want to be able to... Um, or you, you have the combo using a different different means. Uh, you don't need to use Final Fortune as a, as a cost reducer, but you can like wait until someone's end step when everybody's tapped out. You can just be like, I'm going to win now. How, uh, out of curiosity, how how much consideration goes into the surprise factor versus the representing the win on board? So, you know, a Panharmonicon, if you're going to untap and, you know, make your land play and have six mana, you're telegraphing the win to all of your opponents, whereas something like a Twin Flame or Heat Shimmer, even though Heat Shimmer might not make for the most efficient uh you know, cost reducer, the fact that it's three additional mana on top of your, your six mana commander, it, it, it's not completely telegraphed. It is, does, is, does, how does that weigh into, uh, to consideration for well, that's reducers? That's kind of like when we've decided to run rituals versus more permanent based ramp. Like the rituals technically let you, uh, project less to your opponents while the, the uh, like, for example, Panamonicon or like, Playing out a Thran Dynamo is more telegraphed. Um, I think there's cases where you can run run out a Panharmonicon, and then next turn it just leads you up to like more protective plays because you could like double a, a Dockside, and then go into Dire Fleet Devil, take somebody's interaction maybe they've used, and then mm-hmm. go from there. Yeah, I think there's a there's a bit of a um, there's a bit of two different sides to that coin. So. They do. They do allow you to. The prepaid cost reducers allow you to use your interaction uh, more. Um, more, but if you don't have interaction, it can be better to just be able to surprise people. But it, it also depends on who you're playing against. If you're playing against people who who haven't played against the deck a lot, they'll maybe like count your mana and like, oh, is he ready to go off now? Is he not ready to go off? But people who are experienced against the deck will just be like, well, he can go off anytime. He he just played treasonous ogre and win. So I'm gonna keep my interaction up anyway. So, kind of, yeah, there's, mm. there's a little bit of that. I think, I, I love the surprise factor, but I think at the top tables in a tournament or whatever, it doesn't pay off as much. Um, so you have to, the, I think the, the, the panharmonicon effects become a little bit more powerful there because they allow you to keep up your, your red blasts and your, um, your uh, being able to drop down a, a defense grid or something like that before comboing off. You, you have, you can do that with eight mana with the panharmonicon, which is totally within range, but if you're, you're paying for it all out it's a little less available 
Okay. Well, speaking of uh, protection, uh, that, that's our next category. So here we have things like uh, defense grid, um, conqueror's flail. We've also got, uh, you know, fork, which is one that, that isn't really run in in uh, the primer list. Uh, slow bad, which isn't run the primer list, but uh, I know Azrael wants to talk about. It. So let's let's kick things off with with uh, with where there's agreement, and that's on defense grid and conqueror's flail. Uh, how, how how do these really play into the the deck and just speak to these speak to these cards a bit tony you want to talk about well i think a, a lot of folks uh a lot of folks don't give the deck quite enough credit as uh calling it glass cannon i just saw a thread on on facebook the other day about what's the best glass cannon deck and they said well you know goto was a lot of people's answers uh, but oh, you know, you're just going to try and go off, and if you if you lose, you lose, you know, and and there's no recovery from it. There's no way to protect it. You just have to get your 11 mana and go, and that's a a pretty big mischaracterization because we do have options available to us um, to where we can protect our win. Uh, we have plenty of counterspell options that to the point that we don't play them all uh, if we're really worried about a, a super blue meta. Um, there's plenty of tech that you can put in there. Uh, Defense Grid is uh, is an amazing card for stealing that win We're for an extra two mana when everyone says, oh, okay, I, we don't have to, you know, I've got my interaction, so we don't have to worry about Goto this turn. Well, drop a Treasonous Ogre with a uh, Defense Grid, and you've just won that game uh, in a lot of situations. Um, and that can be searched up with the new uh, Goblin from Engineer. the Master Set. Um, gosh, I guess it's not new anymore. <laughs> uh, Engineer. Um, so we we do have a lot of options at our at our disposal for protection. Um, one thing I think people more than you might. Think. Well, one thing I think people might not you know appreciate about Defense Grid is that it is one of the few uh, pieces in you know mono red that that actually protects against not only you know the the blue kind of counter spells but also uh, the dangerous you know swords to plowshares or. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, Source of Plashers or like Force of Vigor, Nature's Claim, uh, that that sort of deal. Shade of Vapor. So it, uh, unlike unlike something like a uh, yeah, like like a Pyroblast, which can only you know answer your counter spells, your Chain of Vapors or whatnot. Defense Grid really, really uh, is is kind of a universal answer. So long as they can't pay for it, obviously. Uh, and and Conqueror's Flail falls in a, a similar boat where you can, uh, where you can you know play that in. You can pay the the the, the two mana uh, uh, upfront, and then you can also play the uh, the equip cost upfront if you uh, if you have the time. Just something to do with your mana. That's a bit well, and extra. it's also searchable from from Goto as well. So there's if you're sitting on tons of mana, but you're you know you have to fight through interaction, you can search it up with Goto and pass turn, and they have to answer it. If they don't answer the flail, then there's a problem there for them. If they answer Goto, oftentimes you can recast and go again because you haven't put Helm in danger. It so also gives you something to do options. if you have that, that hand where you draw a Panharmonicon, but you also draw like a, a, a Twin Flame or a Heat Shimmer. So you can like play Panharmonicon, and then the next turn you have like eight mana. You're like, I play Goto, you get Hammer of Nazan and Conqueror's Flail, and then you hit him with a Twin Flame, and then you get <laughs> you know your your uh, your Helm of the Host off the second trigger. Um, but but like they have to answer the conqueror's flail when it enters and it enters and immediately attaches so they have like one chance to to destroy it and if that's the only destruction spell that people have you win yeah and and one thing about conqueror's flail is it's a lot like a grand grand abolisher where 
it's okay to kind of play your own grand abolisher and then pass the turn and because it's not going to prevent your you're not providing protection mm -hmm. for your opponents um to combo so it's not like a, a dozan or a three mana to fairy where yeah you're basically if you play that and then pass the turn the next player can combo off yeah. basically with impunity the so flail is nice in that regard whereas defense grid requires a yeah, bit more defense caution. Grid is, uh, playing a defense grid and then passing can defense be grid is usually risky. played on the turn we combo off uh, i've i've done it the other way and and succeeded with it i've also done it the other way and failed with it uh Sometimes you you if if it's your only option you do just jam a defense grid and and hope the best um, hope that other people you know just just don't have quite have it yet. Um, occasionally, uh, looking at do... the table looking at the table is so important there to know whether you can just jam a defense grid because you have to know what are the decks that are untapping in what mm -hmm. order after I play this are they going to keep each other in check and that's one of the things that I think is going to separate. Uh, new CDH players from experienced CDH players, regardless of whether they're new with this deck, being able to read the table in that way. Uh, so do you guys want to speak to uh, fork effects before we get into the more controversial so, uh, Yeah, bat? fork effects, um, they only really work against counterspells. Uh, you have to play them on the turn. They also cost triple red, which triple red is not what our deck is generally aiming to produce. So the mana base, I guess... So and by just triple red to clarify, yeah. uh, Nick means go to the red and yeah. then the two I guess red for the fourth. One other thing to discuss here that we actually yeah. didn't put on the list. Uh, one other things to discuss here would be um, dual caster mage. Some people like like that as a as a backup win con, um, because it it combos with uh, twin flame and heat shimmer. Um, but the problem is is that it's not particularly useful as a as a fork effect that costs three mana. If you're adding three mana to your combo, you're not really going to be able to do that. So it's not really protection. It's it's just a random card that might combo with a couple of other cards in the deck. So we've decided mm. through testing and, and whatnot that it, it's not really worth running. Um, but uh, And then finally, let's talk about uh, slow bad. So I, I, let's give let's give Azrael the chance to uh, to defend why he thinks slow bad is, is worth including. And just, I think some of these these effects are kind of more or less known to people. Uh, but slow bad is for one in a red. He's a uh, he's a one one goblin creature, and, and you can sacrifice uh, an artifact to give another target artifact indestructible until end of turn. And so yeah, take it away, Azrael. Well, I admit I wasn't always on slow bad. I believe this year I started playing him more. Um, I think now with flash gone and. The metas, on average, tending to be more grindy and more green-based. Uh, Slowbad is just very simple protection for Helm and some other some of our other important artifact pieces. Uh, we can also search it with uh, Imperial Treater and other builds have a Goblin Matron. Uh, it's akin to Goblin Welder, except it doesn't need to wait a turn to activate. And I think it's definitely something most lists should pick up. Okay. And uh, the argument against Nick, Tony, uh, what do you have to say? I think in that slot, we're kind of running Goblin Matron at the moment. And um, I think there, because Goblin Matron can search up, uh, if, if you wanted to have that sort of protection, you can go Goblin Matron into Goblin Engineer and grab a, a, a Welding Jar 
but it would cost more mana, obviously. You could also obviously grab Slowbad if you were also playing Slowbad. Um, but Matron also gives us Dockside. It gives us um, Crater Maker. Uh, I think in the current meta, we're maybe thinking about swapping those cards, but I think the cards that we're aiming to put in would be like more Interaction, more Wraths, things like that, I think. Uh, Slowbad, I think he's okay. He's just... If you're putting more Wraths in as well, like he becomes worse. Like when you play the three mana Wrath that kills everything, like Slowbad dies. Um, so I don't know. He he limits your plays a little bit. If you want to play him, then you can't run as many Wraths. And I think Wraths are really good in the current meta. Um, or, I mean, you can run them, but then you're going to have anti-synergies in your deck. Uh, compare him to like Welding Jar, he's just okay. way worse. Um, and I guess that shouldn't be a count against him because Welding Jar is amazing. But what do you think, Tony? I mean, some of our other creatures are also Dido, like the wipes, so I don't think it's a complete fair estimation. Um, it's also just like, it'd be more like cutting like a non-creature spell, maybe like Curse Totem, for example. Uh, it would be another body for Conqueror's Flail as well. It's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's not a bad card. That That's not my, I know, my... my point at all. It's definitely a, still a good card, and if your meta has a lot of green in it, it's definitely a card you should consider running. It's not bad. It's been in early lists, but my thought is just how happy am I seeing that in my opening seven? Uh, how likely am I to put that on the bottom if I have to go to six? I, I think neither of those answers bode well for slow bad. Hmm. Fair enough. Uh, okay, next category is on recovery cards. And, uh, you know, we've got here Codex Shredder, Trash for Treasure, Duretti, and Underworld Breach. So Codex Shredder, uh, Duretti, uh, more or less standard in builds trash for treasure also comes in and out of lists and then underworld breach is is more about why or um you know a lot when that came out people thought slam dunk and goto obviously this card is in, insane in so many decks uh this card acts as a good recovery piece why 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 should we not be playing underworld breach or maybe why Good's why funny. should we so uh, we shouldn't because we're red and we don't get to tutor very well. Honestly, that's a that's the biggest answer. Like, yeah, it does crazy shenanigans when you get it with the uh, um, LED and Wheel of Fortune. How often are you going to get those three cards in your uh, in your opening seven? So we're not able to, and that's sort of the similar slam that we had against um, the uh, uh, Copy Wizard. Right? Is we're not going to be playing uh, that combo just because it combos. We can't reliably find it, uh, and we don't get the same kind of value out of uh, breach that the decks that can find and abuse it yeah, can. I think, yeah, I think the the strongest uh, and and kind of most uncontroversial recovery pieces that are seeing play in Goto are the uh, lands. I think that's buried ruin and sequestered and, uh, stash and, and welder. Uh, oh yeah, and then and then welder uh, of course is a very strong piece that's also findable with. Uh, uh, with Imperial Recruiter. So the lands are, are findable with, uh, oh god, uh, uh, Expedition Map, sorry. Expo yeah, Map. map. Uh, so though you can find them with Map, and then Welder is findable with Recruiter and Matron if you're running it. So those are pretty accessible. But then, Engineer yeah, uh, as you find. pointed out, Breach, not really findable. We also aren't on any Fetch Lands, yeah. which help feed Breach. That also makes it weaker for us. Yeah, Fetch Lands can, can mm -hmm. interact with uh, really badly with the most powerful card in the deck, which is Treasonous Ogre. 
um, because the moment you pay one life, you've just reduced your 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 mana that you can produce by one, uh, which the most mana that you can produce with him is 13. And when you can only produce 12, it means that you count to 11 and you don't have two mana left over for a defense grid um, or, or you know, a Chalice of the Void on one or, you know, th- there's a bunch of stuff that you can get into play and reducing that mm-hmm. mana by one is, is actually relevant. Like one life lost in a Goto deck can, can slow you down a bit it's or a big deal. Re- remove your ability to in- interact. Um, So what about the other recovery pieces? I know I've been kind of a proponent against Codex Shredder. Um, do you guys want to defend? Well, I'll fight you yeah, on that let's, one. Let's, you guys are, are staunch advocates for it. Let's, let's hear Go it. Ahead, let's hear it. it. I, I don't know about the other two, but I'm, but I'm a staunch advocate for Codex Shredder. Um, when I first uh, was experimenting with uh, Shredder in the deck, I was thinking this is kind of cool. We get to have a, a cheap recovery piece. We can play it now, use it when we need to. And oh, by the way, it kind of has a stacks effect, so it's not completely dead. Uh, I think it's a stacks card yeah. with a recovery uh-huh. bonus. Um, I, I don't know if that falls under hot takes, uh, but to be able to shut down top deck tutors and really change the the way uh, some people's combos can play out, um, I think that's has huge. A strange effect on and oh, the by the way, it gets Helm back. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, it makes it like who wants to go first with top deck tutors? Like, do I want to go first and like risk losing my top deck tutor, or let somebody else do it and have them lose their make them force them force somebody else to activate uh, make you activate the codex shredder, and then you can use your. It, top it deck interacts tutor. really well with with like multicolor decks that are running three or more top deck tutors. Usually, I mean, black decks are running at least two plus. Then there's the mystical tutor and worldly tutor and. All those Limdul's Vault. Also, I've I've screwed over a Limdul's Vault player. It's it's kind of funny. You can mess up with Sensei's Divining top players as well when they're when they're topping and and you just like ah mill one and this becomes a head games. It's kind of fun. Uh, also, it, you can tutor it up with um, Goblin Engineer. Inventor's Fair. Yeah, Inventor's Fair well. can tutor it up. Um, both of those can also go for a recovery line through. Uh, Expedition map berry ruin as well for a similar amount of mana, but mm, um, there right. are situations where that can be where Codex Shredder can be the better line there uh, rather than that. For example, if you have a land drop, uh, a, a different land drop, um, it's cheaper to go Codex Shredder. And what about Duretti and Trash for Treasure? These cards are, are fairly similar, and I know there's been talk about uh, maybe cutting uh, these from the list. Yeah, Duretti's fallen in and out of the list a few times. He just kind of, he's not like particularly cost efficient, but he can grab Helm back from the grave and put it back into play uh, immediately. Um, and he also, when you don't need to get Helm back, he does something. He, he filters and gets you more power by getting rid of you know superfluous lands you've drawn, or even better, getting rid of stacks pieces that don't particularly work in the matchup that you're in. You can toss them away and, and draw more gas or different stacks pieces or more interaction or protection. Um, Trash for Treasure, I think, is just a bit more mm. narrow, even though it's more efficient. You can't, you don't have that whole second aspect of being able to filter and and uh, and loot for stuff. So far, I've leaned a little more towards Trash for Treasure. Actually, uh, I've had two games so far, notably that it's been relevant, being one less. And like one, my most recent game, I, I had a hand with Hammer on, and it got wheeled away, and I drew into Trash for Treasure. And I could make 
exactly nine mana one turn and there was a known like Jaliva with a nauseam and somebody had just gone off and we stopped them and I couldn't stop the Jaliva so I had to try and go off and then I saw this trash or treasure line and it gave me exactly the amount of mana to try and go off now they had an interaction to stop me unfortunately but it was one of those games where just being one less has been relevant I'm sure we have a lot of mana in our deck so it's usually not too big a deal being one difference but I will. I am leaning a little bit off of Doretti recently. And uh, I guess one thing before we close out this category is how many recovery pieces is optimal? Uh, do you think? Uh, to run run all the best. Gosh, ones? That's a hard question to answer. It really well, is. Well, land yeah. slots are pretty free. So if we're talking about non-land recovery slots, I'd say like two or three. I think Trash for Treasure for me is another reason not to run slow bad because I think Trash for Treasure is better than slow bad. Obviously Azrael, as he just discussed, is using both. So, you know, if he wants more more protection, then yeah. But I think I would run Trash for Treasure over slow bad, I think. Well, Can I just jump in that... here? I, I wanted to mention real quick the, the three versus four mana. Four is an interesting number in this deck for, for a four drop. And I know in CDH in general, for a four drop, it has to be really friggin' good. Well, we can get away with some higher higher CMC cards. But I wanted to compare the difference in three and four between um, Trash or Treasure and Duretti, which is a later game card, uh, and the four mana of Stranglehold, which is an amazing stacks piece that I don't really love. Because four mana comes down too late for what it wants its ability to be. I know that's kind of a tangent, but I get to voice that opinion <laughs> if Stranglehold isn't as good I as think, people think, think they Kodak are. Kodak so I'm going to take that opportunity. Stranglehold in the early game uh, because you can drop a turn one and stop them from being able to Imperial Seal yeah. for their win con yeah. immediately, um, and then they just don't. Their hand doesn't do anything. Um, I mean, if they've got Demonic Tutor, then you know it doesn't work. But if they've got Demonic Tutor, they're probably going to play it before you play Stranglehold anyway. Stranglehold's still good, though. You can still turbo okay. it out, and it can still be amazing. But you're not going to drop it before turn two most of the time. So the next category we have is interaction um, and removal slash wraths. So here we've got a a bunch of cards that I'm going to kind of list into different different categories. So we've got the large uh, wraths. So those are these are cards like Blasphemous Act and Chain Reaction, where you're going to clear you know everything up to including like Get Rock Monster, uh, you know the one of the most popular like six sixes or or I guess maybe like an Urza like big construct or something. Um, so th those are those are the topper the top end of wraths. On the bottom end, we've got uh, Pyroclasms, um, which are you know notorious notoriously Volcanic seen in songs fallout. green decks well. and then we've kind of got the uh the middle of the the road wraths which are um sweltering suns anger of the gods uh fiery confluence um and then finally we have the single target uh removal so thunderclap um i guess pyrokinesis is kind of a, a weird category where it's a bit of a wrath slash single target and then um Outside of creatures, we have something like Mog Salvage. So I just want to kind of get people's, you know, uh, to take their temperature on, on how they feel about Wraths and and where where the deck wants to be in terms of, um, you know, big, medium, small, um, in the current climate or just in general. And then we can talk about some single target and stuff. Tony, why don't you speak first on this? Sure. Um, well, I think the the new Dranith 
magistrate has uh, has pushed our um, envelope for RAS. Pretty much, RAS have to be uh, and and the targeted removal. But most of that already was three uh, three damage. But RAS kind of have to be three damage at this point. So I think most of the pyroclasm effects are just kind of out. Um, I really I think RAS are so important in this new meta that's sort of shaping up to be mid range. Um, there are so many dork decks around that you can just wreck with a well placed wrath. Uh, as a side note, artifact wraths don't see a lot of play in this deck much anymore. Um, they're prone to the uh, uh, the inopportune counterspell. Uh, I, you know, I'm trying to uh, vandal blast so that I can hit your curse totem that's keeping me from winning with my treasonous ogre. But um, oh, it gets countered by the guy who didn't want his sol ring destroyed. Darn. Uh, so I'm less on artifact. I think the the artifact spell should be targeted. Uh, but creature wraths are are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what about what about the 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 difference between a sweltering suns or a chain reaction? I mean, one mana. I mean, maybe sweltering suns is is the wrong example because that card also has a cycling mode, which is uh, really nice. So let's talk about like anger of the gods versus something like a chain reaction. Uh, you, you think the ability to to deal three damage versus you know up to ten or yeah, it could be ten. It could, be, kill, it could also be it could also be two. Commanders. Uh, chain reactions probably going to be three yeah. or more. Um, I kind of maybe like Fiery Confluence over Chain Reaction just because it's a little bit more versatile, even though you can't go above three with it. It does. Three is kind of the magic number. It hits all the stack spaces that stop us. Um, you get more value out of going higher sometimes. Obviously, Gitrog and, and Urza and some other stuff you can hit. Um, I'm a big proponent of Blasphemous Act because I play in a, my, my in paper anyway, I play in a meta where. Um, you could have you know a, a CDH deck at the table, another CDH deck at the table, but also a couple of high power decks that are like trying the beatdown strategy. And in that case, you fail your first attempt. You actually may just get beaten down before you get a chance to go again. But if you've got a blasphemous act, you can reset, and slow people down enough to be able to have another attempt to go off. Chain reaction could fit in there. Okay. Um, I love volcanic fallout. But I want to toss out a one. I want to toss out a weird one here that I am I actually am looking at on my desk at this moment. I just got it in the mail. Is uh, uh, Starstorm, um, which somebody pointed out in the uh, the Red Love Discord. I'm really curious to see how that goes. I'm a big proponent of instant speed interaction, even in this mono red deck. So Anger of the Gods is is just great. I'm gonna play it. Uh, it's one of the best Raz we can get. Um, but I'm I'm really curious to see if this will perform. The ability for the deck to say, "Oh gosh, I'm out of it," and everyone believes you, uh, because ever everyone counts Goto out. You know, oh, there's an oof at the table. I guess Goto's out of it. What's he gonna do? He can't use his artifacts. Well, if you can instant speed kill that, or the magistrate, or the whatever that's keeping you from going off on the end step, a lot of times you can sneak in that win when other people mm-hmm. shouldn't have tapped out but did. What about the? Uh the like earthquake type effects the ones that scale so you can you can either drop an early uh you know one one cmc wrath to clear a bunch of dorks or scale it up all the way up to like a draineth magistrate for for mm-hmm. you know x is three i think uh what's what what uh tony was just saying is accurate i think star storm is probably the best one of those because it's also got that cycling ability um but then there's another more mm. recent one printed i forget what it's called but it's essentially star storm without the cycling ability but it also hits planeswalkers i think um so you know not not strictly strict uh, star storm isn't strictly better but it's, it's it's close to strictly better okay and then finally we've got uh 
some some single target removal that that that's uh, persisted in the list, uh, namely Thunderclap. Uh, do you want to do you want to justify that card? Because it seems pretty strange to someone who who hasn't uh, looked at Goto much in the past. I can justify it in two words: Aven Mind Sensor. It's free. It's a free lightning bolt. Like, Hell yeah, brother! You can't hit a player with it, but it's a free lightning bolt. You're you're throwing away a land, but if you're comboing off and they're if you're comboing off immediately, like the deck has lots of mana. Losing one one mountain, not the worst. Uh, and um, being able to stop Aven Mind Sensor, another instant speed uh, stuff. I think uh, a shrinker. No, I think it's just Mind Sensor to be really worried about but um thunderclap is really good against mind sensor but also late l- end of turn you can just pay three mana it's not terribly overcosted for for an, an end of turn interaction spell either and every once in a while you have to sack the mountain to kill the najila that uh, yep. nobody expected to pop yep. off this turn mm. but it can and, do um, it good point. i guess um, just talking about like a couple of other oh. like just I guess windmill slam thing. We've also got like a braid and chaos warp. I guess chaos warp is something that people may not like, but it costs three mana all the time. But it also does just answer everything, including those weird enchantments that you see once in a blue moon, but you need to get rid of. One thing I wanted to add to this list that I'm going to test out for this upcoming uh, Trice DH tournament is a fry. Uh, I definitely want to try that out because now it's another thing that's uncounterable that hits Draneth. Uh, uncounterability is slightly relevant because a lot of times uh, other people aren't going to win. They, they'll, they'll defend other people's stacks pieces. So like being able to kill Draneth, uh, Ashiok, uh, even Mind Sensors, as well as some like important blue or white commanders. That's something I definitely want to look forward to trying out. Yeah, I think I think my interesting. But hitting yeah. the new Tefiri Probably, I think has gotten better well. with the printing of Dra- Draneth. It's still kind of kind of fails my my removal criteria because it doesn't hit oof which is oof is a, a real problem to play against like we can combo through it but not easily yeah um so i kind of want all my instant speed interaction to be able to hit oof um because it's pretty common okay. i mean even even now even after with i mean you've got Draneth and other stuff to destroy as well but i think uh, oof is also um, i tell you what it if you're out there and you want to um, start a fight and waste several hours of my life, uh, just come onto the Red Love Discord and say, I think, insert card here, is the best <laughs> removal spell in Goto. And wait, <laughs> someone will argue. <laughs> uh, so moving on to one of the more interesting categories, and I think that is uh, stacks. Uh, many people, I think, have the strange notion that goto is just a turbo all-in combo deck uh when actually it gets to run some very very strong stacks pieces uh and and it gets to run you know quite a few of them so just just to go through some of the strong lists uh, strong cards uh we're not going to discuss too much but like blood moon magus of the moon uh chalice of the void you get to put a chalice of the void on one chalice man that's insane uh stranglehold uh trinisphere which seems strange, but again, most of this deck is is you know permanent based ramp, not not too many uh, low CMC spells. So very very strong effects you get to run, and then some more that we'll be touching on. So uh, curse totem is one that the deck can also run, and and you know the the guys here have some thoughts on that about whether or not uh, 
this card is worth it. And then uh, Possibility Storm as well. Uh, very, very uh, strong stacks piece if you can resolve it. But there's a, there's a bit of liability associated with Possibility Storm now that Draineth is out. So let's let's talk about the Curse Totem and Possibility Storm first, and then we've got some other uh, pieces to, to briefly cover that, that uh, are being considered. So let, let's start with the this curse, curse Totem. I think you guys brought up um, Vandal Blasting your opponent's Curse Totem, uh, which seems weird in a deck that doesn't run dorks that you'd be wanting to remove a curse totem so why 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 are we not why are we can why are you guys considering cutting curse totem so curse totem does uh, there's like four cards <laughs> there's four cards that make this deck competitive uh it'd be good otherwise but there's four cards that make it competitive uh goto helm of the host hammer of nizan and treasonous ogre and treasonous ogre gets shut off by curse totem it is the uh, on, on probably the besides Helm and Goto, the best card in the deck uh, because it gets you there right away. Uh, shutting that off, but is the the, the counter to that is if you have Curse Totem and and Ogre in the same hand, you just don't play the Curse Totem. You just play the Ogre. The problem is is when you play the 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 Curse Totem and then you draw Ogre. Um, that that does happen, and it sucks. Yep. Um, it's why Vandal Blast actually hasn't been in the deck for a long time because you can't target your own permanents with it. Um, whereas uh, <laughs> something like Shattering Spree was played for a long time um, when we were worried about Null Rods and things like that a lot. Uh, it was a lot better because you could blow up your own Cursed Totem with it um, if you needed to in a pinch. But Cursed Totem is also so good um, at killing your opponent's uh, mana dorks and 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 uh, messing up your opponent's combos and, and just ge generally is just very good. I think it's less good than it used to be and it might. I think the other side to it is now that we're running more wipes and interaction it gets, we can have more answers to deal with dorks and creatures in general and curse totem, we want to play it as early as possible when we see it and cutting off obviously there's ogre but also like brass squire is a pretty good cost reducer and then other important recovery pieces like Goblin Welder, uh, Goblin Engineer. Yeah. Okay. I think it's more of a meta call Fair now. Enough. Uh, and I guess one one thing too is that you can always just, if you want to hate on mana dorks, you can always just replace Curse Totem with yeah. another yeah, Wrath. Totally. But Wrath also kill. And you're, you're not going to interfere with yourself. Wrath also kill your Metal there. Worker. Um, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, but uh, you you don't run into don't. the trees and soaker problem. Um, and so the the next one was possibility storm, which uh, for people who might not be aware why it's a good stacks piece in in this deck, uh, if you're casting a spell from your hand, uh, you exile the uh, cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card that shares a type with it, and then you cast that card without paying its mana cost instead. So it, that doesn't actually interfere with you casting your commander from the command zone so basically you slam a possibility storm you can cast goto uh find uh helm the host and then you can sometimes you can just wait a full turn cycle uh to just equip pay the mana to equip helm and combo off without you know ever triggering the possibility storm and it makes it very difficult for your opponents to tutor or do anything proactive when they're basically just blind yeah. flipping through their deck now the problem with Possibility Storm, the, re the reason why we want to discuss it a bit is that, or at least bring it up for the listeners, there's a new sort of liability in playing Possibility Storm, and that is with Draineth Magistrate. So uh, 
Dranith reads you can't cast cards from that, that aren't in your hand. So with Possibility Storm exiling the cards that you're casting, you then can't cast those cards from exile. So if your opponent has a Draineth Magistrate, you need to be very cautious about playing a Possibility Storm. Otherwise, you will lock yourself out of the game and basically hand the, the Draineth player the win. And then even if you're cautious about that, your opponent's playing creatures and maybe blind flipping into Draineth is a bit of a concern as well. Yeah, that's that's the thing about Possibility Storm. And then we've got some other fringe stacks pieces that, uh, or, or I guess, yeah, stacks or, or interference that, that get run. One thing that was being discussed on the server not too long ago was Ruination uh, and From the Ashes. Do you guys want to want to talk about those? Kind of aligned in line with like the Blood Moon, you know, non-basic hate idea. Yeah, I think with Tainted Pack decks being really common, I think From the Ashes is is getting to the point where it's quite good. Um, if they're not running basics in their deck, or even if they are running a couple basics, but they're not necessarily the colors they need, um, that can be backbreaking. Ruination, I feel like, at least in the primer and the list that, that I think Azrael's maybe running as well, it doesn't really fit very well because we use a lot of non-basics in the deck to build up um, I mean, there's also basically soul lands, but there's also a lot of utility lands that have, you know, marginal upsides but they're worth running over a mountain because we don't really need that much red mana um so the deck runs a lot of basics like 18 or something but uh at the same time you don't want to be running you know two of your lands under the bus when you draw ruination and and usually you know half the lands in the deck or almost half the lands in the deck are non-basics so if you're casting ruination there's a good chance you're going to be blowing up one of your own lands as well Yeah, I think From the Ashes is a really, really cute idea. And so for those people who don't know, it's basically a ruination, but the for each land destroyed, its owner can search their library for a basic land. From the Ashes also play. an interesting um, thing as well. It it puts the lands into play untapped. So you can actually produce mana with it if you have enough non-basics. I mean, we're talking very late game, but if you have like five non-basics, you tap them all for mana, you play from the ashes. You sack all your non-basic. You end up with a un- bunch of untapped basics. Um, <laughs> so can be. It's also just nice for if we're weaving into a turn, right? You're not spending your entire turn just mm-hmm. blowing up the lands. You can from the ashes and then recover some mana and then follow it up with maybe like a cheap yeah, two mana play or something. A card very that, very that interesting may well card. Find its way into the primer soon. Something else I'd point out about it, too, is that uh, when you Blood Moon, non-basics are still non-basics. They're mountains, but mm-hmm. they're non-basic mountains. So that's worth uh, worth pointing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these are good, solid cards that are definitely worth consideration in any meta. Uh, the primer we tried to write for, um, for a generic unknown meta to the best of our ability. Um, so if you have specific meta where you know, ooh, this card or that card is going to be uh, slightly better here than it would be in a general meta. Uh, there's a lot of those card considerations in the primer, so I would go check it out. There's there's a huge long list of cards that are really powerful, worth consideration, uh, didn't quite make the cut, and we try to discuss some of the pros and cons yeah, of that big in the primer. Mentions section. And our last two uh, stacks pieces um, are a bit uh, a bit out there, and, and these are Godfrey's statue and Ward of Bones, and these are six drop artifacts. Now, Godfrey's statue is basically two, uh, I guess, two sphere resistances stapled together, but it's also asymmetrical. So 
opponents spells your opponents cast cost two generic mana more to play and then you've got ward of bones where if you your opponent if you control your opponent can't play a uh i guess it's artifact enchantment land or creature if they would then have control more of those permanents than you uh, i guess in, in more or less words there's there's some more things going on there but yeah the, the idea i guess with ward of bones is that you can as a, as a creature light deck and an enchantment light deck you can lock your opponents out of playing those uh, important permanent types. Then Godfarer statue just running severe interference. Um, so, what, what what are your your thoughts on these cards? Have you guys tested, I tested with, with Godfarer statue quite a lot? I I really like it. Um, it does cost a little much, um, but the deck is designed to get six mana out pretty re- reliably quickly. Um, you definitely don't want to be playing a list that has a lot of rituals in it if you're playing god for a statue because you don't want to be ritualing this out and then not have the mana to combo off but at the same time it's it's very backbreaking against a lot of decks if you can land it turn three or four um it's also <laughs> hilariously funny with possibility storm because they have to pay two for both spells <laughs> which is uh really funny <laughs> so paying four extra for each of your spells pretty pretty brutal yeah, or, or yeah, like Trinisphere as well. Like, or Trinisphere yeah. with Storm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Ward of Bones, I guess you haven't tested with it. I think, I think it'd, be really, worth, it'd be really good looking in, at in a, against a really heavy Very creature nice. meta. Maybe cut a, a few of the creatures from the deck and run Ward of Bones. Um, could be really good. Also, maybe run it um, against someone who's running lots of enchantments in a stack stack or something. They're just not able to play their stacks pieces. Yeah, I think I think the idea of uh, of kind of shutting your opponents off, even being able to cast creatures, so they can't play their commanders or they can't play a Thassa's Oracle, uh, potentially has some some good strength. But being six mana and uh, is is again mm. pretty pretty rough. Uh, okay, and so we're we're just about through the woods on the single card discussion. We've got a brief category, uh, or I guess two brief categories, and then we're, we're going to move on. So. Uh, the next category is called Grind. So here we have cards like Reforge the Soul, Memory Jar, Anji's Ravagers, Sword of Fire Nice, Ignite the Future, Stolen Strategy. And if you guys want to know what these cards do, look them up. There's a lot of them. But we're not gonna we're not gonna be getting into the discussion of these individual cards. More or less gonna be talking about the idea of grind and and should should the Goto deck be designed to go into longer games and how much should you consider that kind of effect? Uh Tony, Azrael, insert go one of you guys. Yeah, I, I don't personally. I don't think that's the game we want to be playing. Uh, we're not as good at that as other decks are. So why lean into strategies that we can't excel at? Um, the stacks pieces that we play are absurdly powerful stacks pieces. The uh, fast mana that we play is the best fast mana we can get our hands on to get to that combo before anybody has a chance to blink, let alone react to it. Um, playing this sort of grindy mid-range game on value engines is in my opinion the wrong way to go not that any one of these cards is bad i don't mm. i don't think that's the right strategy i think there's a, a place for it uh someone who was since the since we first got helm and like i was always playing a, a slower more grindy goto i think there's a place it's just like none of these cards are perfect compared to like like seven library or dark confidant there's not like straight up like draw a card per turn. They have like weird stipulations. Um, 
there's a there's a place where maybe some type of build that's grindier now that the meta has changed. Uh, maybe with something like Mystic Forge, if we get more cards later on. Um, Stolen strategy has been a little bit hit or miss depending on the pod. So I think there's some a place for it. Just not the best place right now. Yeah. Reforge, and okay. I think Reforge and is probably my favorite card on this list that you you said. Reforge the Soul, just because late game, if you're if you're in a bad place, you can just be like top deck and be like, pay two mana. I have a new hand of cards. I can go for it now. Problem is, you're giving other everyone else a new hand of cards, and while Memory Jar might not give them a permanent hand of cards, it gives you a hand of cards on the turn when you're going to be wanting to use those cards to go off, and it gives everybody else a new hand of cards right then as well. Um, and it actually gives them cards that they want mm-hmm. to use um, because they're not going to get value out of them later. Sort of Fire and Ice actually has a, a negative synergy with the deck in that you can, if you play play Godo and you get Sort of Fire and Ice just to have value and blow up your opponent's creatures and draw cards, it's great. But if you then, like the best the best scenario for doing that would be to then hit Godo with like Twin Flame and equip a Helm afterwards. But you can't do that because it gives pro red. <laughs> Otherwise, I think Sophie would be amazing because you just play Goto. If, if every time you draw um, Twin yeah. Flame or Heat Shimmer, you could just play Goto, get the other one, get get the, the Sophie, equip it, attack, and then the next turn, like, Twin Flame in for the win. Um, but you can kind of do that with Umazawa's Jitty, which I think is better than Sophie, just because of that. Uh, it gives you that option of just play Goto, get Jitty, equip, attack, and then later Twin Flame him. Um you run the risk that someone counters Twin Flame, and then you just get kind of locked out of the game, though. So, Ignite the Future, mm. Stolen Strat. I don't really have much to say. I just think they're slightly subpar versions of other cards that other decks get to run that are efficient, and they're not that efficient. Someday, someday Wizards will mess up and print a card that's <laughs> a good enough value engine yeah. that will run it. I don't think we're quite there. Okay, so and our, and our final category is Metatech. Um, and just a few cards that are, are pretty quick to comment on. So Command Beacon, why is that? Metatech, you know, this is actually a card that, that I know uh, Get Rug lists were running for a long time because, oh, if you're playing an expensive commander, uh, you can, you know, so you can, you know, bypass commander tax later on. And that's actually, you know, what people might think it's for in Goto, but actually it's not. So why, why are decks, why, why are Goto decks now running Command Draft. Beacon? <laughs> Command Beacon, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I like that you pointed out that it's not for the commander tax because honestly, if I get to play Goto and I get stopped, I get stopped. If I play Goto a second time and I don't win, I'm probably not going to get to try a third time. And oftentimes, by the time I'm casting it a second time, I do win. If if you let me get to it a second time, mm-hmm. I, that's usually when I'll take I, that I think win. I've won. I've won on third attempts before, but it's usually when um, Helm got blown up and then I. I get the helm back from the graveyard or something. I think casting Goto three times doesn't usually work. Yeah. Um, I think the last time I did that was maybe when Paradox Engine was still legal and you could abuse the shit out of it in Goto. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I think that's important for people who might not be aware, but Command Beacon actually is a way to get around Draneth by putting your commander into your hand and casting it from your hand. So Notably, Command Beacon also searchable with uh, with um, also, expedition map. So technically, there, there's a few ways with, to find. It's searchable to find with it. um, Goblin Engineer via 
um, expedition map, and therefore it's also searchable via Goblin Matron. <laughs> and Imperial Tutor. Yeah, there's there's a lot of weird jank tutor line tutor lines in in Goda. <laughs> some weird some cards are are uh, are accessible through through very long tutor chains, but uh, they are technically accessible. Yeah. Uh, uh, next up, we have Silent Arbiter, which is something that uh, Azrael, you play. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so, well, I'll definitely admit this is more of a meta pick, and the, some of the decks it does help against are fairly common enough, uh, so it's mostly versus, like, Najila, Timna X decks, and Yuriko, and, and I guess uh, any decks that are still running, like, any Kiki combos. Uh, this is something I've been trying to play and test out. Uh, it's fairly easy to get it out, at least by turn three. We have a lot of two-mana rocks to ramp it out if we don't need to win yet. Uh, it also preserves our life total for Treason Sogur. Uh, and it's so, sometimes it's awkward in hands where we want to win turn two, but otherwise it hasn't really been anything crazy. It's another body for Conqueror's Flail. Okay, and the last card on this list is one that I'm particularly fond of and I shell all the time on the Monored server, and that's Tabernacle, the Tabernacle at Pendril Vale. Um, and it's under the Meditech category, not the Stacks category. Um, because I guess I guess you guys you guys can can speak to this. I don't want to skip my land drop. I got I kind of want to hear you actually because I I know you've been a, an evangelist of the tabernacle so I I kind of want to hear yeah, what you have on. to say on it. Sell me on. Okay, it. so my 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 opinion on tabernacle is that it it's almost like a zero mana curse totem that doesn't interfere with your um with with your your combo it doesn't interfere with treasonous ogre so you are taking up a land drop and the unfortunate thing is that if you're trying to land it early um it it is almost like uh a time you're time walking yourself but you are also impacting your opponent so if you if you're if everyone let's say goes i mean this is a very simplistic pod but imagine your opponent's going turn one dork turn one dork turn one dork and you slam tabernacle they have to commit their to tapping their dork to pay for it um so you are getting that effect but now you're behind a land drop so it's usually not something that i like doing you know turn one um especially because when a deck is trying to do uh you know land then land and two cmc rock so this is something i usually like to drop around turn um two turn three and really punish people who have extended you know turn one dork into turn two uh, creature or you know another dork and a creature or something like that where they've committed their resources to play and they're either going to be you know paying these tax and tapping things down or you know sacrificing it to make their plays so it it's it's a pretty low cost thing to run um at least that's that's just my opinion i i've i've had uh, great success running tabernacle in in different decks so yeah the reason i don't like it too much is it's pretty awkward again with uh, Blood Moons and Magus of the Moon. Um, yeah. It's also usually considered more of like a spell slot than a land slot. So for now I'm like third, I'm yeah. at 32 lands, and I could I tried cutting down to 31 and it was fine. So I could, you could possibly uh, convince me to do that. I but, I don't know. It's just you want it to be on, and then it, it's off with Blood Moons and Blood I think Moons it's, are, I think are it's really terrible. good right now. I think when you're at a table and it's like 50, even 50 if even me. if like two people have have mana dorks in and you play this you've essentially locked out one of your own mana dorks right because 
you just you just sacrifice the land drop, right? That could have been a mountain. Um, so, and it's not necessarily that you don't have more lands in your hand either. You have to play that as a land as a land drop. You know, uh, I'm reducing my mana by one, and I'm reducing my opponent's mana probably by one or maybe two if they're playing dorks. But not all decks are playing dorks, so the third deck that isn't playing dorks is now the winner in this scenario, not you. Um, I would rather, mm. I would rather, since it's a okay. spell slot, I would rather just run an extra wrath. I, I think an, an extra wrath just makes more sense than tabernacle, <laughs> fiery confluence. Fair enough. Yeah, that's 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 uh, that's one thing that that's been a common trend throughout these uh, these single card discussions is <laughs> just run another wrath. <laughs> and I, I wish we could run like three hard, more wraths. There's with only that. so many slots in the deck, and. We, yeah. The tabernacle isn't going to remove a Dranith Magistrate, or at least it really shouldn't, because your opponents should be paying for that. But uh, you know what? It's Will? also another also two thousand dollars okay, more so that, that I want to spend on another wrath. <laughs> that that wraps it up for our uh, our discussion on single cards. We're going to move on to uh, mulligans and uh, and yeah, and and some how to play how to play some of these hands. So we've got some complicated sample hands so these aren't trivial where where players might make new players might make some basic mistakes uh and and we can we can talk about these a bit so uh before we get into that uh the sort of listener question that's related to this and i know nick you had a uh something you wanted to 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 mention about and that is what's a hurdle to get over when learning to play goto and that's gappy who asked that okay my answer is is you need to get over keeping mediocre hands I think a lot of other decks, uh, when you're playing a lot of other decks, especially other CEDH decks, you want to keep your seven-card hand. In Goto, you don't care. You can win with a three-card hand. Um, And because of the London (laughs) Mulligan, we get to abuse the crap out of it. You can Mulligan to four in this deck and still win on turn two. Pretty pretty well, like. You can can Mulligan in this deck to three and win on turn one. Um, And it's, but it's it's unlikely, but it unlikely can be done. With the London Mulligan, like I would Mulligan to tur- to, to to yeah, I've Mulligan to three and one. I actually have Mulligan to three and one before the London Mulligan, but that that was just insanely lucky. Um, I think uh, with this deck, if you're looking at your first seven and it's not amazing, amazing god tier, you're throwing it away. And if you're looking at your second seven and it's not really good, you're throwing it away. And if you're looking at your six and it's like barely playable, you're probably throwing that away too. Um, if you're looking at your 5 and it's playable, you're keeping it. But Because you don't really want to go to 4. Um, but, you know, you need to a mulligan aggressively with this deck. Or, or not necessarily you need to, but you get to. You get to mulligan aggressively with this deck. Um, whereas you can't with a lot of other decks. Yeah, I think before we talk about some of these more complicated hands, we're just going to give an example of you know, close to the god hand, um, and that's and this is this hand right here. Uh, so, if you're watching on YouTube, you can you'll see be seeing this on the screen. Uh, if you're just listening, uh, here's what it is. So, we've got three mountains, a cavern of souls, mana vault, treasonous ogre, and wheel of fortune. So, this is a turn two win with a way to gas your hand back up. Um, afterwards and you've also got some form of protection in the form of cavern of souls so really and you can mulligan you can this hand for, right? to three um, and it's still playable um 
<laughs> three, and it's still a, a turn two yeah. win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, um, yeah, insane. So that, that that's exactly what, what Nick was trying to say with, you can go down very deep um, because there are some very strong cards that will allow you to win from almost... Uh, Almost no resources, but yeah. Now, now to get into the complicated hands, and I'll read out the hand, and you know, again, the the picture will be on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. And I want to get your guys' opinion on: Would you maul? Would you keep? And and how would you play the hand? So our first hand is Mountain, Crystal Vein, Sensei's Divining Top, Conqueror's Flail, Magnetic Theft, Imperial Recruiter, and Dire Fleet Daredevil. So keep them all. Depends. I'm gonna keep. I'm seven? gonna keep this hand more often than not. Second seven for sure. I think I I would be inclined to keep this hand as a first seven. There's time. Yeah, I I would consider keeping this hand. I I, I think don't I'd think I'd mull if it was, it was a second seven. seven as well. Uh, I think I'd keep this. I keep this at six, and I'd keep this. There's, at seven. So there's obviously some well, great is, cards got, in here, right? You got two redundant cards, like Imperial Recruiter and Magnetic Theft are kind of doing the same thing in this this hand. Um, so to me, this is a six card hand anyway. So I can do better if I'm if I'm and I and I think six card hands can do better than this. So I would I would mulligan the first seven and and, and so what I like about this what I like about this uh, hand is uh, you know obviously yeah there's a little bit of redundancy there but both of those are win attempts um, so uh, dealing with the either the ogre or the recruiter still gives you the ability to go off with cheap mana um, but what I really like about this hand is actually top and dire fleet daredevil gives you other things to do um, so this this hand has uh, Two lands in it, the top to get you your third land yeah. that you're going to need for sure. Um, and it has essentially three, maybe four yeah, different The thing I don't like about it. it is is that there there is a risk this hand goes nowhere. When you play the top turn one, you top the next turn, and there's no lands there. Um, it's unlikely, I guess, statistically, but you're still almost 50-50. Uh, maybe not 50. One third of the time, you, this hand is going to go nowhere, regardless of whether it's a mulligan or not. I don't like that. I like to have a path to victory in the hand, I think. But I said okay. I, I keep it on a six or a five because uh, I'm throwing away probably magnetic theft, I think. Yeah. 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 That'd be the, the drop. Our second hand here, we have three mountains, a dwarven ruins, lion's eye diamond, arcane signet, and honor worn shaku. So what what do you first of all keep them all and then how are you playing this hand? Um, it's an interesting hand. I, I think most new players to Goto would would windmill slam this hand, but I think it's it's kind of bad. Um, unless you draw additional acceleration, you're not going to be winning. I mean, you've got twelve mana in the hand, um, but you're because you're you're relying on Lion's Eye Diamond to get there. If you draw any interaction, you're not going to be using it. Um, you're not going to be able to use it. Uh, you're also that eleven mana only comes online on turn four, uh, which is not good. Um, if you're mulliganing with this hand down to like five or six, it's also not terribly good. Um, although you know, just having some mana, like I would keep this on like six or 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 five, just because like 
you can just you know play a dwarven ruins play an arcane signet play a, an honor worn shaku and honor worn shaku here if you're not familiar with goto it taps for three mana not one um because both goto and ham uh, helm of the host can be tapped for mana using it on the combo turn to help equip the uh the um the helm uh, the yeah the helm of the host uh but I don't. I don't particularly like this hand. I'd keep it on a five, probably six, maybe. So, funny, funny enough about this hand is that you know you're saying you're you're gonna you're gonna mulligan it when and, and this is a common mistake new Goto players would make because it's it is the meme of you know play Goto count to eleven mana, right? And what you're saying is that even though you're fulfilling that you know basic meme. That's that's just you're not, using that's all the not, cards not in the enough. hand to do it though, and you yep. don't have any other cards that you mm-hmm. get to play like a blood moon or keep a red blast up or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And compare that to the hand we just looked at, where yeah, it's a little bit sketchy. You need to get to that other land. There's a little bit of redundancy in there. But what else do you have? You have a little bit of card selection. You have uh, two different tutors in there in the form of Imperial Recruiter, and almost certainly. Uh, dire fleet daredevil so even if you're stopped on your ogre well, we can get a um a a dockside if we need to for an additional mana rush uh so there's a lot more options that you can just top deck something great and or use the cards in your hand to get there um whereas the second hand is try it and if you fail i mean you fail it's got some stuff going for it too mm-hmm. because like you are just gonna have mana development which will help you um if you draw into other gas like a panharmonicon or something like that but uh, I'm still not a huge fan. But as you pointed out, it's a turn four hand, and with nothing else going for it, and you're going to ditch whatever yeah. you draw to the LED anyways, it's not there. I would mulligan this yeah, hand. Second seven, probably okay. as well. On a first seven, on a second seven, probably on a six. Yeah. I'd keep five. On our, on our last hand here, we have a Blast Zone, Crystal Vein, Command Beacon, Mindstone, Blood Moon, Brass Squire, and Red Elemental Blast. So, keep Mull, and how would you play? Easy Mull. It's it's rough because it doesn't have any red mana. Otherwise, it's. I would definitely Mull us away if it was yeah. my seven. Any of my sevens? Maybe even my yeah, six. Yeah, it doesn't have. Probably. This deck no does not mana. reliably draw into red mana, guaranteed. Um. I mean, you've got 18 mountains and stuff, but like you're only reliably sort of going to draw a mountain by... I guess, you know what? Uh, I, I take that back. I think reliably you're going to draw a mountain by turn four. It's just not particularly fast, so I wouldn't keep it uh, on, on the back of that. Like that, that you have to wait so many turns to, to reliably draw a mountain. It means that your Blood Moon's going to lo- arrive a little late. Um, you're probably not going to get to the double red to use the red blast to stop a counterspell on Goto, so... What what's the point of that red blast in your hand? Um, you well, you can get to the double red if you drop the that's, moon actually, and the, that's, and that's the game goes in that, that longer direction. So maybe if you're sitting against some yeah, stacks yeah. decks, if, that's if not the decks a bad you're playing thing. against aren't fast combo decks, this hand is kind of okay. Uh, and if Blood Moon's going to be very effective in the ma- matchup, it's not terribly bad. If you could keep this, if you believe that by your fourth land drop you get a, a red source, because you technically can go off turn four. With this, if you hit your red source with brass yeah. firing and casting, because you have six mana with the yeah, crystal vein, you do. I turn four. I think this 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 yeah. this hand is like, 
Depends on if you're feeling lucky I'd enough. I turn four. Probably forward. keep this on a six, and I'd throw out the red blast. Um, yeah, I think it really yeah. depends on the that other decks. That's got to be real good. One. For this you. one's right on that I line think. for me. If this yes. is a five hand, I'd keep it, and you like get rid of the yeah. blast. And the yeah, that's okay too. Because you've got a turn four win if you draw. Yeah, out. probably so. That's 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 probably good enough. Okay. Well, thank you for your advice on mulliganing, and we've got a few more things that we want to cover before we get to some final listener questions and close out the show. So, uh, up next, we've got a few hot takes that you guys wanted to uh, to get off your chest and, and put out there God, to the my community. My favorite part, man. My favorite part. Uh, so let, let's let's hear them. Let let's. What what are your hot takes? Justify them. Just get them out there. This deck can win from nowhere, and that's the best thing about it. Like. Everyone's people that I play against, they say that they're terrified of Goto because you can win from nothing. Uh, you got nothing on the board. You played a mountain on turn one, so you don't look aggressive, but then you just like win the next turn. Um, and so they always have to expect you to be able to be going off, and that's really tough for a lot of decks to to deal with. Really stressful for them to play against. Um, and they'll often underestimate you as well because they, you know, newer players against you will think. Oh, he's got to count to eleven. I've, I can watch him count up slowly. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. Depending on the board state, too, is a lot of people write out right off the Goto player. Oh, there's a no rod on and board. Goto can't end, win. Though. Well, actually, out of nowhere, yeah. oftentimes you can. There's a, there's a lot of ways to get out from under that. And so, um, you know, oh, he got he got counterspelled once. Guess he's not going to win. Uh, the number, I mean, the number of times that I've heard that is just. A, we don't care about counterspells that much. It's just not that big a deal. Uh, we have a lot of answers to them, and when we get counterspelled, yeah. we just try again with two more mana. Uh, so it, there's so many ways that you can come out of left field with this deck and just... A lot of people call it stealing the win, but hey, a dub's a dub, isn't it? Goto gets countered. Fair enough. Like people go, oh, but what if Goto gets countered? Well, first of all, creature counters are the least common type of counters in CDH. And second of all, if Goto gets countered, so what? I just have to pay two more mana next time. My deck is mostly mana. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's this? Uh, who's, who wrote down this next hot take here? Oh yeah, this was. Uh, I think someone mentioned this, uh, and, it, and it definitely resonates with me. They never expect you to have interaction, so you don't have to. Even if you do actually have interaction, you can. People will play theirs before expecting you to have any, um, and they'll. Oh yeah, people jump you in the turn order all the time and just be like, "Oh, I'll counter that." It's like, "Oh, great, no, I don't have power blast." The guy after you'll just say, uh, "I've got a counter." Once the guy in no, front of you passes priority, <sighs> the guy behind you is just like, "Shit, now I have to answer this." But like, you actually had the interaction, and you you probably would have cast it because there's maybe only one person left in the turn order. But you know, you didn't even have to because they didn't expect you to have to. Um, so you get to save that red blast for uh, what you really want: protect your win. Uh, okay, next up, and, and they won't play yeah. around it. They just won't play around it either. Like they'll just say, "Oh, okay, Goto's the only one left, so I guess I win now." Not expecting. We actually yeah. do run a lot of interaction. Uh, next, ne- next take. Yeah. Um. So a lot of the stacks that you can run in this deck is unique. No other deck gets to play it. Uh, Trinisphere, Chalice of the Void, um, things like that. Nobody else is really running, and so people, one, aren't building around it, and two, um, 
you get to play some cool cards that nobody else is running. Possibility Storm. I mean, come on, who else runs Possibility Storm? It's amazing. Um, and in a lot of cases, these cards can just be better than having blue counterspells. You know, you don't have to keep mana up. You don't have to throw away your counterspells stopping people win. It's a little, I guess people throw around the word parasitic, you know, that you're you're um, relying on other people having counter magic. But, you know, if other people are countering other people's wins and you're not, then you're being able to use those cards for a better effect for yourself. So being selfish is sometimes the way to go. Uh, regarding nice. stacks, we also have... Uh, Someone wrote down, this might be the best stacks deck in CEDH. Uh, <laughs> so who wants to justify that one? I who said this up. in the, the voice chat that we were having last night. Uh, maybe it was Sage. I th- no, I think it was Sage it Grouse. He was, he was in the oh. chat last night, right? Maybe silly. I don't know. Uh, he was like, is it the best st- stack deck in CEDH? I don't think so, but it's... It, it gets to do something that other stacks decks don't have, which has a reliable way to close the game. Um, most stacks decks, you know, you, you've got your Urza stacks deck, which can lock it down the game, but then, you know, often you're just sitting there activating Urza, hoping to find one of your tutors or, or one of your win cons. Um, whereas Goto is like, oh, I've got the, the game locked down. Okay, I just win now. I think it's one of the best uh, decks with stacks elements that can translate going from like a slower game plan to suddenly you're trying to win next turn. Yeah, it can it can capitalize on the board state uh faster than other stacks decks can. Yeah, like playing a possibility storm locks everyone out and then very easy for you to close the game from there. Uh I think we covered this this next hot take uh kind of in our last segment when we were talking about mulligans um and how frequently you guys were saying ship these hands. Um, you know, maybe I'd keep this on my on my six or my five, uh, and that's uh, that. The London Mulligan is great with Goto. Maybe it's probably uh, since Flash Hulk being gone, um, and even arguably with that deck around, probably the best London Mulliganing deck yeah. in our, CDH, or the deck that best takes yeah, advantage. I think, I think the answer that to that is very most. simple. Our yep. deck is. Um, highly variable in how powerful the cards are. Um, so often hands are relying on a few very powerful cards to win the game, and the rest of the cards are either replaceable or entirely redundant. Um, and so in that situation, why not just throw away a bunch of them? And when you can select four car- your, your Dream 4 from a hand of 7 every single time, then why not mulligan straight to 4 for a Dream, a dream 4? You know? Um, there is the risk of mulliganing past that. It also solves a problem mm-hmm. for us. Uh, it also solves a problem for us, and that problem is uh, helm in hand. Um, and I know I've run into this in chat rooms and, and Facebook and things where people say, oh, if you draw a helm, you can't win. No, you just search up uh, ham- uh, Hammer of Nazan and then play the helm. But that opens you up to non-creature counterspells, which is a really, really big deal. I think people underestimate how big a deal it is that we don't have to cast a non-creature yep. spell as part of our combo. Um, so helm in hand is bad. Uh, it also opens it up to wheels, uh, dumping it in the graveyard. So being able to London mull a seven card hand that has helm and just say, oh, let's put that on the bottom. Mull to six um, feels good. Be better than a seven card keep um, with with a lot of hands yeah. that have helm in them. Um, picking the other six, if the other six are good and you have helm, you can often have to throw it away if it's a seven, but if it's a six or a five, you can keep it because you get to throw helm to the bottom of the deck. And then even better, you're guaranteed not to draw Helm. 
Okay, so our last hot take here is a card, uh, you know, I've been... You guys really wanted to talk about it, so, you know, here's the floor. It's yeah, a, please. It's a brand new card coming out uh, that was spoiled for uh, M21. No, older than that. And that is Frenzied Fugue. No, this, one, been this one's been out a little bit now, actually. You just sort of discovered it. Um, Wait, really? This was in yeah. one of the last Commander decks. Wait, was it... Was it was it M? Was it was it Commander twenty twenty or Commander nineteen? I thought this was no, a, I thought this was a brand a new, new card. card oh wow! Notice. Okay. Uh, and, and yeah, I've I've never newly, seen this. Yeah, this newly card. discovered. Card is here. Here's my here's my hot take. My hot take is that Frenzied Fugue is one of the most underrated red cards in CD. Oh my god! This card is from Commander twenty sixteen. <laughs> is it really? How have oh I never god. seen this card before? Oh my god! I thought this was a brand new card. It's crazy. Okay, so I'm just going to read this card. I'm just going to read this card for, for everyone. So, when Frenzied Fugue enters the battlefield, or at the beginning of your upkeep, gain control of Enchanted Permanent until end of turn, because it's a it's an enchantment aura. Untap that permanent, it gains haste until end of turn. Okay, so why do you guys, why are you guys obsessed with this four mana theft effect? It's, it's... <sighs> so... Why don't you talk about the floor sure. the and then floor I'll talk of about it the ceiling. Is, is so exactly what Goto wants, right? So this card, you can just steal someone's land, um, obviously for one. So guaranteed you get one mana out of it. Most of the time you're going to be able to steal a soul ring or a mana crypt or um, uh, an ancient tomb or something like that that taps for two. Occasionally you even get to steal like a grim monolith, which is even better because you tap it down. It doesn't untap for them and then it untaps in your upkeep. So it just becomes a Thran Dynamo. So mana generation is like, it's pretty good at mana generation. Like obviously it's not as good as just running a Thran Dynamo because a Thran Dynamo is guaranteed to make three mana. But um, it's it's generally going to produce mana for you, which is the generally the thing that your deck needs. It's usually going to produce two mana, which as Azrael was talking about before, you know, when you your cards produce two mana, you're getting reasonably good value out of them, even if it is a bit slow at, at being a mana rock. Um, and then Tony, go ahead. Sure. So the floor of this uh, is is that it's mana, and that's it's not the best mana in the world. But the worst case scenario is it ramps you a little bit. Uh, the best case scenario, the sky's the limit. Um, no, honestly, it's it's the versatility of the card which makes me love it so much. Uh, plus, just that it's fun. But the fact that it can answer things that other uh, that's really hard for mono red to answer. Um, for example, uh, the uh, Ashiok uh, is a really hard card for us to deal with at five loyalty. Um, yeah, we can bolt it and then try to attack it with a goblin or something, but it makes it really hard for us to combo off with an Ashiok, uh, and we don't easily deal with Planeswalkers. An opposing uh, Stranglehold, for example. Well, it's any of the asymmetric stacks effects. Uh, the new Dranith Magistrate is a good one. Well, let's just grab it, and then on our turns, we can combo off. Uh, so it answers a lot of things in a single card slot. Yeah, it's a little bit overcosted, but you, what you're paying for is the versatility to handle so many situations. Uh, and then you can get really crazy with things like, oh, let's grab your uh, Necropotence, for example. You know, along the lines um, of the value, I will also add that Sylvan <laughs> Library, because mm -hmm. it you gain control at the beginning of your upkeep, and Sylvan Library Carpet, happens oh. in your draw step. You yeah, can draw step. you can you know get a, a timeshare I guess I kind of think this card flowers. is like a timeshare right you're you're sharing it with your opponent <laughs> yeah it's it's carpet uh, of flowers so it's good. very versatile yeah, that's for I, sure 
I personally have stolen a Grim Monolith with it, uh, tapped the Grim Monolith for three mana, and then sacked it to my KCI <laughs> to go off. So Kirk, Kirk that feels real good. So this, I mean, there's definitely yeah, uh, there's options here. For those not in okay. the <laughs> um, Yeah, and then so our final uh, category before uh, some uh, remaining listener questions is piloting advice. So just a couple... Uh, you know, short little bits that, that you might want to talk about and maybe some aphorisms or whatever. So I guess it's whether you want to play aggressively or conservatively with Goto. Um, playing Goto is a lot like playing poker. Uh, I think the best Goto players will be players who um, find it easy or or can read the people at the table. Um, you know, read when they when they're feeling comfortable. You know that they've got that force of will in their hand, even though they're tapped out. When they're they're you know playing kind of nervous because they don't have anything, or when they're playing jittery because they're ready to combo off, and you know that they're going to go off next turn. So you better try it now, because um, Goto is not about going off as soon as possible. It's about going off when you think you can win. Um, the point of having a fast combo deck here is. You want to be able to get your um, get yourself ready for the opening that comes up, and if that opening isn't ready, then we get to play some stacks pieces or whatever to increase the probability that our next chance can go off, um, or to make the game harder for our opponents. Um, so I think knowing when to go off is the hard part in Godo. Um, yeah, and it's where player skill comes in the most. I think that and mulliganing. I, I I absolutely agree, um, and I love that that poker analogy. Honestly, that's one of my favorite things about CEDH is I get to play a, a an incredibly high power, high stakes with no stakes at all uh, multiplayer game. And so I really enjoy those poker type aspects, and I think that's part of what makes me like this deck so much. Um, and I, it is a huge misconception. And I watch some, you know, I've loaned my deck to folks and watched them play it. Um, and besides mulliganing decisions, you're right. The the uh, the hard part is, oh, I just jump in every time right away, and that's not always the right call. Um, and it it takes some some skill. You need to know the meta. You need to know the other decks at the meta, um, and you need to be able to read the people at the table. Um, I got a ton of comments and and messages when the playing with power video came out recently uh, with the four Goto pod, which was super fun of why didn't you go for it? You had win in hand. Uh, it was it was telegraphed to the table that I had win in hand. There was a ton of table talk going around, and I misread the table. I There was another player with also known win in hand, uh, and I misread interaction for that player. It's as simple as that. Um, hindsight being 2020, should have gone for it. I didn't. Uh, but that's what makes this deck, in my opinion, so much fun to play is... Exactly. Yeah, the end result is usually winning exactly the same way. Getting from A to B is the fun. Yeah, and part. I think uh, it's also maybe one of the reasons why people who have tried the deck sometimes underestimate the deck or or or, or shit on the deck a little bit. Um, sorry, am I allowed to swear? Okay. Um, yeah. So, like, if you play this deck like a few times and you just like keep a fast hand you just go for it your soon, soonest opportunity and three blue players have mana open and you lose which is what's going to happen if three blue players have mana open um or you just fail and then you you concede and throw the throw the deck away then you're not going to have a good time with goto you goto is not going to leave a good impression in your mind um 
But if you wait for the opportune moment for those blue players, for one of them to try to go off and everybody to throw their counter spells all over the place and then everybody's tapped out and you just win, that's that's how you win with Goto. Yeah. Um, one thing we have here also, I just wanted to throw in because in case someone who's new to the deck doesn't realize, like Emergent Zone, it's a cost reducer. Uh, you can also tutor that up with uh, one of the many tutors we, we've talked about. So uh, it's it's also it, it, the thing with Emergent Zone as a cost reducer is that unlike a Final Fortune, um, where which you can is a cost reducer on your own turn, but then can also be used to kind of um, get surprise wins when in people's end steps, right? When people are tapping out and they're let's say let's say you're it's right before the Thrasios player's turn. And they're tapping out to activate Thrasios because um, they're expecting to untap. You can kind of get a cheeky Final Fortune in there and and uh, and you know untap, go to your turn and combo. Um, Emergent Zone can't quite do that because you do need to go to combat to actually win. But it does function as a cost reducer in like yeah, the end drop, step right drop before Goto into play. Uh, your turn. And if people aren't paying attention, then you can uh, get. Some you can also drop nice Goto into way. play on someone's end step. It might, doesn't have to be the end step right before your turn. It can be the end step where everybody's tapped out. Um, and if you if you've read the table and you mm. think there's no there's no you know after the fact answer, someone had a counter spell but they tapped out to activate Thrasios, and you think that was the only answer, then you can just jam Goto then, and then if the next player doesn't have a sorcery speed answer, you just win. Okay. Um, and next up, uh, someone wrote here about luck versus skill. Uh, yeah, so speak to that? I think this is one of the reasons why you shouldn't play Goto. If you if you like playing decks that are able to showcase your skill at the mechanical side of magic, you know, tutoring for, you know, the perfect piece here and the perfect and 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 being able to use your tutors to tutor for an answer or to tutor for your combo piece and you want to have that flexibility of having lots of in-game decisions, Goto is not the deck for you. You have to Throw that aside, and Goto is a deck where a lot of your decisions are made for you, aside from when to go off, um, and a lot of the deck will rely on luck. It, it wins a lot because it's very powerful, not because necessarily you played well. Uh, and like Possibility <laughs> Storm is, is kind of a divisive <laughs> card for that, because people play Possibility Storm, and sometimes you lose. Sometimes they do flip into the perfect answer. Or someone ridiculously flips into Doomsday and just sets up a win, just wins. Um, but most of the time they don't. Most of the time they lose. And if you can play a card that that's five mana that says most of the time I win, um, I, 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 I'm going to play that card. <laughs> you win most of the time. I win. <laughs> um, and finally, I, about I think uh, that oh, I think sorry. that. Um... Yeah, real quick, the uh, the luck versus skill. I think that the skills that are demonstrated yeah. are different. I agree there's a subset of people that just don't like playing this deck. Uh, I'm One of my very best friends in the world is the quintessential Storm player. He does not enjoy playing this deck. Uh, because what he wants to do is put all of those interesting interactions together in unique ways and see, you know, how, how can I play this one paradoxical outcome to generate the most mana and cards off of it? Uh, spoiler alert, it's a lot. Um, but that's what he enjoys, and that's the skill that he got really good at. Um, but it's the poker type skills that really demonstrate themselves well in playing Goto. And unfortunately, that that leads to a misconception, I think, that uh, Goto is an intro deck. And I don't believe it. I think it the is. other part of. Sorry, go on, Ezreal. I think another skill that people overlook sometimes is like 
mulliganing, like being able to mulligan yeah. well, is good for all decks, sure. But I think it's a little more so for this deck because you. Some people say like your game is decided on whatever by whichever hand you keep, sure. But you can you can mulligan it multiple times depending on what you want to play into. So do you want to mulligan into a fast hand? Just in the pod, sure, do that. But you can also mulligan into like more like grindy, stacksier hands based on the pod, and I think that's a skill some people overlook a little bit. Well said. And yeah. the final point here we have is on turn order. So, what do you, what do you, what's your advice? So on yeah, that? turn order matters with this deck. Um, if you're playing directly after a heavy control player. Um, can make it really difficult for you to be able to go off without protection. So you you have to think about that right at the beginning of the game. Look at their commander and go, oh, they're playing, you know, uh, Tassiger or something. I don't know. Um, and you you look at that and go, okay, I need to prioritize a hand that has a red blast or a defense grid or something like that. I'm gonna have to play a little slower. I'm gonna have to wait for the opportune moment, or I'm gonna have to wait for them to run out of resources by countering other people's wins. Um, it's a little harder than if the if the the heavy control decks are running are playing right after you, where you can wait until the Gitrog player that's to your right uh, tries to go off and then use that opportunity to win. Um, where in that case, you can just keep a hand that just has lots of mana and wins on turn three. Awesome. And we have uh, to wrap things up. We've got three listener questions, and we can we can answer these uh, pretty quickly. So Gappy asks, what are Godo's weirdest matchups? Not necessarily easy or difficult, just specifically weird if they exist. Well, three other Godo decks was kind of weird, but <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely go and watch that on Playing With Power's uh, YouTube channel. That was funny. <laughs> um, I think Jaleva might be a weird matchup, and maybe in a similar vein, Paco, where they have a chance of exile on top of your deck and Sometimes they'll hit like your ogre or helm before you've got a chance to search it, and it just makes games a bit awkward. What about uh, Yisan with the ability to to threaten instant speed, you know, artifact enchantment removal that you guys yeah, don't so really Yithin, like interact with? Is that weird or? With I'll, the I'll rest, talk to Yisan. Okay? Yisan is a deck that you have to be playing when, when you mulligan. You if there's a Yisan deck at the table, you have to either be able to go off on turn two. Or you have to have something that interacts with Yisin. Either you have to kill him once, at least once, um, or you have to be able to curse totem him or, or do something along those lines. Um, you can't just play a, 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 de- a game that, that wins on turn three or four. A three, depending on turn order, you can get away with, but four, no. Um, so, yeah. Remember that middle hand that we showed you earlier in the Mulligans discussion where it it gets there you, eventually, you but doesn't really have. Yeah, Yisin. no, that goes that, away. That, that hand Yisin. is unplayable against Yisin. You will lose. Uh, okay, Ishmokin asks. My question for the podcast would be: In your opinion, which is the best direction to build Goto? Uh, race cars, all in Goto. Uh, Goto stacks, Goto mid range, uh, and why? Why justify this uh, this opinion? I think. Uh... For a blind meta, which is what the primer is designed for, I think you just kind of run the best cards that you can. And the best cards from each of those categories. You run the best ramp cards. Um, I don't like running a lot of the rituals just because they 
they cut down on your ability to have resilience. Um, you know, the two mana rituals and stuff. We still run um, Rite of Flame just because you can power out stacks pieces and very early with it. Um, but I think, yeah, you just kind of run the best of a little bit of everything. Um, but for very specific metas, if you have a local meta that you play in a lot, um, I think that kind of just depends on your meta. And I think Goto, luckily, does have a lot of options for different metas. Um, if you're playing in a creature meta, you can just throw in 10 Wraths if you really want to. I mean, maybe 10's a little overkill, but um, uh, if there's a lot of artifacts, you can run Fiery Confluence and things like that that can, can double as one or the other. Um, you've got things like uh, Shattering Spree, which is a, a great anti-artifact card against an Urza deck or something like that. Okay. There's so a lot of good anti-blue tech out there that you can throw in. If you happen to play in, a, in an almost exclusively blue, but, you know, you're playing against Kefnet and Baral and whoever else uh, on the reg. Well, sure, let's let's run Burnout. Let's run um, Boiling, two, what is it? Boiling, boiling Seas or whatever two. it's called. There's Boiling Seas boil. and Boil. They both do the same thing. Um, so there you go. I mean, there's definitely options. Um, I would say that, uh, again, the... A lot of times what I see, and it's rarely it's on the CEH channel, sometimes it is, but uh, a lot of times on other EDH Facebook groups, uh, when Goto comes up, it's in the vein of, well, it's just it's nothing but just Acceleration and a Helm of the Host. And I don't think that's the right call. The place that Acceleration and the Helm of the Host does best, where it's just all the ramp and that's it, uh, where that's going to succeed the most is the place you shouldn't be playing this yeah. deck, which is Pub Stomping. Um, that deck is going to do is going to win on turn one or two, or you're going to be because you're a horrible person and you're pub stomping, right? You're going to say, "Oh, well, this is dumb," and scoop your cards, and then go beat somebody else on turn one or two every time, because they're not playing the kinds of decks that are doing anything on turn one or two but ramp. So don't do that, and that's where the nothing but speed would be successful. You try to do that in a in a meta that's actually tuned for dealing with threats on turn one, two, and three. You're going to have a bad time. Um, so I, I agree, move towards the stacks, move towards the resilience, maybe not go 100% stacks, although that's an option for you if you like trying to play that way. I think the best mm -hmm. is kind of somewhere yep. in the middle. Okay. Uh, and finally, Jordan asks, I would appreciate some discussion on budget if you can. So uh, how good does Goto operate on a budget? I think Goto's great on a budget. I think there's... there's uh, um, some of the most powerful cards in the deck are irreplaceable, unfortunately. Um, things like Soul Ring, well, Soul Ring's cheap, but Mana Crypt is not cheap. Um, Grim Monolith is not cheap. But Mana Vault oh. is reasonably cheap, and so is Assault Monolith, which we run as well. Um, Lion's Eye Diamond is not cheap, but Lion's Eye Diamond I don't think is essential for this deck at all. I think it's it's a good card, but I'd be totally happy swapping it out for something else. It's not a core card. City of Traders is way more core than yeah, that's yeah, one of City, your last big pickups. City LED of Traders is, of is, a, is a card that's irreplaceable as well. But but all of those things are just mana acceleration for the most part. Um, and so you can you can just run other accelerants. And if your 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 stuff is too expensive, you can just run a trilobite or or you know there's there's multitudes of other cards that are almost good enough that are cheap inexpensive cards and yeah maybe you're you're yeah. comboing off one turn later than um, you would here but at the same time if you're running that sort of deck i wouldn't necessarily try and run for the the race car goto uh, either uh, i don't think that running race car goto 
uh, in that sort of meta. You can definitely pub stomp with it, but I think you can have a lot more fun if you run some more interaction and stuff. Yeah, so I'll, I think I'll, I'll speak to this a bit as well, and that's that you can replace a lot of the more expensive ramp pieces with cheaper um, cost reducers. Like you mentioned, Trilobite, you can put in Molten Echoes, uh, some stuff like that. You can put in more 2CMC rocks um, and kind of go that route. Um, but then also, Goto as a budget deck overall and maybe as an intro CDH deck, I think... Personally, it's one of my favorite decks to recommend to new players. And this is people who are new to, um, yeah, specifically to the CDH format itself, because you can build it on a budget. It does have a pretty decent upgrade path. And most of the upgrade paths are like staple cards that are going to see play in other decks. But most importantly, for people who are getting introduced to the format, Yisan has been the kind of go to recommendation for a lot of people. But Yisan, in order to pilot well, requires uh, not only extensive knowledge of your own deck and all the lines and permeations you can take, but also of your opponent's decks, because it really does play like a, um, you know, almost draw-go deck where you're sitting on your Yisan activation, and sometimes you need to preempt your opponent's turns with a Thought Not Seer or something, or find the right stacks piece the turn before you need it. Uh, so it requires extensive deck knowledge and knowledge of the meta already. Whereas Godo, um, being a much more proactive and less reactive deck, you really only need your knowledge of your deck. And it's a pretty simple deck to understand, all things considered. So it gives new players the time to really pay attention to what their opponents are doing and absorb more of what the cdh meta is like and and how people play and things like that and it less it's less times you know sitting there thinking oh god what am i going to do next what should i counter blah 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 so i really like goto as a budget deck and as a recommendation for newer players even though um as i believe tony pointed out the mulliganing can be a bit of a uh of a hurdle to overcome i, I yeah, still you gotta like have balls for the mulliganing uh you have to be willing to mulligan into nothing in order to get rid of mediocre hands. Um, yeah. Sometimes you do wish you kept okay. an earlier hand, but more often than not, you flip into a much, much better hand. I also believe uh, someone on the Discord server, is it Hisp, who has a link to some some really good yeah, budget list? Yeah, he built a, a pre-con Godot list, um, which is linked in the primer. Uh, and it's basically, he was trying to build a Godot list that could be built and operate uh, at the price of one of the, the pre-con um, decks. And I would say that that deck is way better than any of the pre-con decks, or at least more powerful. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, um, I just want to thank you guys for, for joining me. Um, that about wraps it up for this episode. If you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at Into the North Pod, via our email, Into the North Podcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. Next, special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a patron, we are at patreon.com slash Into the North Podcast. Thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo, and to our long-suffering podcast editor, Roadkill. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having us on.